Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Morning. Morning, everyone. Hi. So this is a small, sort of intimate Q&A session. Um, so who's got the first question? Far away. Yeah, so um, I've got a couple of projects on the go at the moment. I've got a big one that I, I was going to sell quite a few units, about 80 flats, um, and I've decided not to, decided to hold them. Uh, I think it's probably, the market's gone soft around here, um, and I think because of that reason, um, it's probably better to, to hold them. If, if I was going to be selling them in two years' time, which may be when it's sort of, you know, going to be ready. Um, that may be different, but the thing is with buildings like that, you, you generally start selling off plan and my sales period would start now. Um, so for me, I would, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll probably just be keeping and, and refinancing. Um, generally, when I do any development, um, I'm not, I'm not usually doing big sort of houses. I mean, around here, that might be 500, 700, a million pounds, that, that sort of thing. Houses like that generally have to be sold. The, you can't really rent them out because the, you know, the yields are too low and the spec's got to be too good and all this sort of stuff. And the return isn't very good. So my, I, when I've done developments, if I'm ever looking to sell any, and I have sold some apartments in the past, um, I've generally taken them and um, made sure that they're sort of sub 150,000, the yield is okay, I know they'll rent well. So if I'm gonna be selling them, I can switch. If the market falls off a cliff, I can rent them out and I can still get them refinanced uh, because the income stream is high enough, because the yield's high enough. So if you look at through the recessions, um, especially the last one, the, 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 the people that really got hurt were the ones that were, the, the developers that were needing sales to survive. Um, and that's always the same. If you can rent them out and cash flow them, then usually it's okay. Yeah, you never really know what's gonna happen. I mean, now's quite a good time to be, to be out there sourcing sites and, and buying units. Um, uncertainty creates an opportunity for purchase, doesn't it? Um, you know, two, two years ago, I had, everyone saying to me, oh, I can't, I can't find enough buildings or I can't find enough sites. So it's always one or the other, do you see what I mean? Um, it's it, it, either that or the money's hard to obtain. Well, at the moment, the money's pretty easy to obtain. This, the, 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 the uncertainty means the sales market is slower, softer. You know, I, I don't, maybe prices around here have maybe dropped slightly, but if you look over the last year, Land registry is still showing three and a half percent growth, um, but you know generally, um, yeah, generally it's, it's, it's probably a good time to to be finding sites to start because the, the, the vendors are more realistic. The last one I bought was at auction. Uh, it wasn't necessarily you know uh, really really cheap, but I feel like I can add quite a lot of value to it because it's a development. Uh, I know you know what I can get out of it, what I can do, floors on the top, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of where the last one came from. The one before, which was actually purchased about eighteen months ago now, that was an it was off market, but through an agent, 
and a vendor that didn't really want it publicized. So I get, you know, if you have your fingers, you're looking at stuff and you're constantly talking to agents, there's always different stuff being offered. Um, yeah, it just depends what it is. Offices around here are probably still, you know, they're selling pretty quickly. Um, so I, I haven't done as many of those recently, but... Um, uh, if you were start again now from zero, that's yeah. a popular, I think, question. Yeah. Uh, where would you start it with the properties? Like, uh, I'd probably do a similar thing. I'd, I'd buy some single lets and some HMOs um, and, um, you know, maybe some serviced accommodation. Then I'd start converting buildings. I'm sure over, over the medium to long term, yeah. Um, when anything new comes along, um, there's always a little wormhole where you can go and do a lot of stuff. Remember with single lets, you could do all sorts of stuff. Now there's a lot more rules, uh, more licensing with HMOs. So I think there's, it's an opportunity period um, where, you know, if you buy them, it's excluded from Section 24. So you can offset all the mortgage interest. Um, you know, there, there are lots of, you don't need planning permission. There are lots of opportunities with it. Um, yeah, and over time, it will become more and more regulated. I, I mean, generally speaking, there'll be lenders which will, um, you know, lend to you with that sort of stuff with, with no experience on single lets. Um, and usually it's just a computer thing. So if you, if you go to a broker, go to a mortgage broker, he'll put it on a computer uh, or she'll put it on a computer and find lenders that don't require any experience. Um, you know, and there, there, will, there are some, and then you just get started with them over yeah. a period of time. When you move into sort of commercial lending or you're doing development funding, then you're going to be meeting people and you're going to need to be supplying them with more information and showing them your experience in a CV. And a, they always ask me now for, a, you know, a, a, um, a, an appraisal um, of the development, a development appraisal. They ask me for, you know, a, a schedule of all the apartments, the sizes, the rent levels. Um, my CV, build a CV, um, that's all pretty typical. Um, but on that's a computer job, I mean. Yeah, I'm also in talks with friends as well. Who yeah. So people that I know to sort of lend money in, obviously. Yeah. Oh, to borrow from them. Yeah, borrow from them. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Lots of pictures show that you know put 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 the kind of properties that you'd be buying into a document. Yeah. Um, you know, show show the the rents or the costs, what the the yield is likely to be. Um, why the areas you're buying are, are good. If you make it look really professional, they won't read it all, yeah. but it's a sort of tick in the box. Yeah. 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 Okay. There's potentially permitted development coming for retail and for air rights above commercial buildings. Um, this government has a habit of saying a lot of stuff um, and then it taking ages or not a lot happening. You probably remember with Cameron and Osborne, they, they announced the office to residential permitted development rights and the warehouses and things like that, and it happened, and quite quickly. Um, I don't know when this lot are gonna do it, if, if at all. I mean, y you see what they're completely preoccupied with at the moment. Um, I don't know if you saw the Prime Minister last night come out and, I mean, she didn't look entirely uh, relaxed. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think they've probably got other things on their mind. I, last time it was Eric Pickles that brought it all in. Uh, he was D uh, DCLG, uh, Communities and Local Government. So it was that ministry that dealt with it. So I suspect it comes from there again. But I guess it needs some direction and decisions to be made for the civil servants to then go and put it through.
they haven't said when it's going to be. They also they've announced I think this five hundred million for to help you know redirect and regenerate cities um, to help with this move away from retail, maybe to residential. Um, but you know, there's I think there's forty four thousand towns and cities in the UK. So you, if you divide that up, um, it's like ten grand a city or something, ten grand a town, um, which might cover a few streetlights. <laughs> but they, they they like those headlines, don't they? It's a bit like um, don't know if you remember they said right leasehold houses and you know grand rents on flats are the devil. Uh, and we're going to stop them. Um, so they did ban leasehold houses immediately, but um, the the ground rent on flats, they just started consulting. And apparently that's gonna be kicked into 2021, 2022. Um, so these consultations often go on for, you know, six months a year, then there's a response. Uh, then often they come out with a second way. So it could, I don't know, it could be a year, it could be two years they might just kick it and, and never do it. Um, and it, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing just because you've got to apply for planning. I actually quite like it because I managed to get retail buildings cheaper because of this. As soon as they're permitted, develop, permitted development rights are on them, the, the perception will be that the risk's gone away, then the banks will all be on it, they'll, they'll lend to you as soon as you've got your, you know, prior notification back and it'll all... So actually the retail I've been doing requires planning permission. And it's probably helped by statements like this as well, because they, you know, if their if their city centres are dying and they've got all this space above that's empty, these kind of buildings need to be converted in that way, um, and then they start start approving them as they have around here. Just depends. The vendor may do it, but round here, uh, the agents I deal with won't usually talk the vendor into that. It's up to the agent, because if the agent says no, not hope, then they'll just tell the vendor and. The market's relatively busy. I know there's this uncertainty, but things are still selling. I was thinking about bank buildings because there are lots of yeah. Know, there's loads coming. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can never remember if it's A two or A three. Um, well, to do what? To scale to yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, if they're offices and not part of the bank, then you can just get yeah. But if it's a a two or a three, if you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. If they're an ancillary use, yeah. i.e. it's part of the bank, yeah, then, then that is, the whole thing would be A2 or A3. Um, I can't remember which. 
I'm pretty sure you also get permitted development rights on those. And it's up to two flats. I think it's 150 square metres. Just have a look at that above. Okay. The other thing, there are also permitted development rights there to conversion to a restaurant. So the banks are going. These guys are selling them. That The banks themselves are selling them, you know, and they have been for years because they're moving out of them and they're shutting them down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've just, just opened one here. Yeah. Yeah. Difficult moments of sourcing for investors in London is they look at the areas and although the yields might be good, they think well, the area is very, there's all social yeah. housing and stuff like that. So you want to find the middle ground. Yeah, that's, 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 mm. what, that's what I'm trying to do at the moment for a few people. Yeah. Well, somewhere like here in the council area, ex-council areas, where there's a lot of private ownership, so Breton, Alton Goldhay, Alton Malbourne, um, you know, all, where, all these sort of things where we started, they work really well because they're, they're actually good houses and there are plenty of all right people that live there, even though they're pretty ugly areas. And there's plenty of sort of private ownership. It's not like going, I don't know, on some in a city council estate in Manchester or Liverpool or something like that. They're way better than that. Yeah. yeah. So they're probably worth 15, 20% less than a similar sized house that is not ex-council. Yeah. But the rent's the same. Yeah. So your yield is higher. That's what happens. Yeah. And then they go and buy something that yeah. costs 30 grand more. Yeah. Um, and it just keeps the capital values of this ugly stuff yeah. lower. That, that's how it works, because if people didn't think like that, they'd just go and buy these and they'd all be the same amount, yeah. yeah. But it, it's just sort of educating them to, yeah. Any more questions? Who's next? Excuse my voice, Mark. <laughs> um, how have you educated yourself in all your different strategies? So I, I read a lot um, and I have a lot of sort of friends who, um, you know, who, who know a lot about different things. Um, the, the Avios thing, um, I had a friend that sort of initially told me that this was quite good and gave me the idea. Um, I've always loved flying and right from when I was very small, my dad used to take me all around Indonesia on planes and I'd get in the cockpit when they were flying and all this sort of stuff. Um, he, used to, he had a go in a couple of them as they were flying along with passengers in the back, that's what you, they'd let you do, stuff like that. Um, so, uh, we, uh, you know, I, so I've always had this sort of interest. So. Um, I spent hours on forums online at night. I, I wasn't sleeping for quite a while. Just reading all of the little tips and hacks and ways of basically gaming the British Airways Avios system because there are loads. Um, and obviously I ended up, you know, as time's gone on, more of these guys have come along who do that as a full-time job and then publish all the ideas. Um, so there's one called... Um, um, his name's Robert, um, used, to, used to be known as uh, Raffles. So his website is Head for Points. Um, and he, he comes up with a new thing every, every few days, or every day he comes up with sort of one or two ideas. Um, but yeah, sort of prior to that, I, I just read stacks and stacks and stacks and then just start testing. Um, a lot of property stuff, I, I just try it. I see someone else doing it. I watch them for six, 12 months to see if they're still doing it after that period. Um, often I'll go in, you know, try and work out if the investment's good and then probably do one or two of them and then test the results and then get all the management accounts, yeah, to, to, to see the results over, over a period of time. 
Um, um, but, uh, you know, most of the stuff I get from other people who I help with what I know and they help me with what they know. But it's I'm very selective about, you know, who I sort of hang around with, who sort of thinks about stuff like that and who's good at it, you know. Um, so that, that's where I get a lot of it from. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Avios, I'm just constantly, constantly doing it. I mean, I, I, I moved a load of stuff around last night. I just... If, 50,000 Avios seats came out yesterday. BA just released them all between December and March. Um, and you can imagine that every man and his dog's trying to ring up because you can get basically first class seats, which cost seven grand for about 600 quid. Um, as long as you, you know, so I, I, last night I booked two seats to Barbados outbound for Gemma and I next to the bassinet because we don't have the baby yet and they won't let me book that yet. Um, I booked the outbounds that, for a year's time for November um, and they were. I'll book the return in a, in a week. So the two will cost 1,200 quid, um, I think. And they're both first class and it would be, I don't know, 13 or 14 grand for, you know, if you paid for it. Um, yeah, I'm going to put... So a little one in first class, that'll, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's sort of how I've developed that and obviously constantly doing it and staying current. Um, projects, um, you know, I was in a four hour pre, uh, sort of pre-contract meeting yesterday for a big project that I'm doing. And the same again will happen this Wednesday. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of trial and error over the last 15 years, going from buying little single lets like we were just discussing. 75 stacks of them was my first one of this type. Um, and I must have bought that in 2005. And before that, I bought stuff in Florida and Bulgaria and loads of stuff that didn't work. And now I'm doing this, you know, it's about 100 flats um, in one building. It's just an evolution, just another 20% every year trying something new, testing and measuring, getting the results. That worked, that didn't, you know, and then spotting an opportunity. I, d I don't anymore. I used to, um, but the deals are all so different. Um, you know, I, I like to give myself the flexibility and the latitude to sort of say, now's a good time or now isn't, or that's an amazing deal. So, you know, I'll just do it and I'll, you know, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily have chosen a deal of this size. I'd have maybe done one of four or five million. Um, but it was particularly good and I wanted it and it was in the location that I wanted. So um, I don't so much. I, you know, over a period of time, you, you just get this inner thing, which if I hadn't bought a building for a while or I hadn't done what I needed, I just get this, I've got to, I've got to go and, you know, keep building the portfolio, you know. Um, so, yeah, Rob and I used to set specific numbers, um, even monthly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we were buying for investors and we were taking an equity slice, we, I think we targeted six to eight a month, something like that, and I built a team to, to, to run that. Uh, and then we had KPIs, the buyer would come in with all his numbers every month and tell him he'd got to buy more and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Get into business, start, you know, start, start sort of sourcing properties, create a business around it. You know, if you can create a training business or some sort of trading business, to generate an income stream, um, you know, whether you, I don't know, you, you, you're sort of presenting or maybe you're, you know, creating 
information products um, or you know whether you're doing sort of online whether it's training or marketing loads of people create marketing businesses around this um, some people just go into sort of pure property but they need a very high income strategy maybe you'd be doing sort of high-end HMOs or, or serviced accommodation um, that's what I would recommend because you've got to get the income rolling haven't you um, you can't be focusing on a capital strategy certainly in the earlier years yeah um, but I, you know, I sort of do what we did. You know, we, I, I was buying these single lets when I met Rob, and we built a business around it to do it for other people, and they paid us to do that. We're not still running that business now. We sort of pivoted into this training business. Um, that got more difficult through the credit crunch, you know, with banks and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, I'd, I'd, if we were starting again, and I knew what I knew, we, we'd start a training business, start the money flowing. Yeah. Yeah, so those numbers are what's happening next door. So we have a letting agency. So they manage about 850 tenants in there. There's about, I don't know, 11 staff or something. And that those are all the service accommodation units that they manage. Um, you know, it's progressive lets. And obviously there's quite a few external landlords in there as well. Yeah. Um, so for our portfolio, um, I'd say the majority of it now is sort of um, high-end HMO rooms that are in sort of commercial, converted commercial buildings that they're split into these cluster flats. Yeah, so I do a lot of those. Um, we have serviced accommodation flats as well in those buildings, Rob and I do. Um, you know, in some other flats that we sort of, mainly town centre flats, which we rent out on that basis. And then obviously the, the other sort of big rent would be single lets. In fact, the majority of what they manage are single lets. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got some buildings that are a mix of these yeah. that are on ASP. Yeah. Yeah. In nightly, nightly rental. Yeah. yeah. But they're, they're obviously not living together. They're, they're going up, you know, a, a sort of a block of flats so through a communal corridor. And then they're, they're going to some apartments that are dealt with as a cluster flat or, you know, as a five or six HMO rooms in a, in a cluster flat or a service accommodation unit where they're renting it nightly and it's all furnished and it's got everything, cutlery, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so we run a whole, a whole, yeah, across most strategies, yeah. Occupancy, definitely. Um, location is very important. So if they're sort of city centre, that will be a lot, lot better. I've done stuff on the outskirts, you know, service accommodation, it's not worked so well. So smaller units, city centre, the marketing is very important, how they're priced, if the cleaning's added on separately, that all that is really, really important. Yeah. Occupa if you can keep the occupancy up, then usually it will, you know, cover cover all the costs and then yeah. create you a nice profit. Mm. If the occupancy isn't there, then you know, your costs are a lot higher with yeah, sing sure. with service. So yeah, yeah you, you um yeah. We it does. Yeah, as long as you're getting enough per night then mm. That really fixes the occupancy issue. Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously you haven't got to keep with the cleaning and the linen. Yeah, you've got yeah. fixability. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. To be honest, our city centre buildings, the last three, haven't got any parking. No. no. Mark, have you ever been tempted to venture into sort of hospitality bars and restaurants and stuff? No, it scares the hell out of me. Yeah. I. I you know, years ago, I'd, I'd have, I worked in Kentucky Fried Chicken on London Road when I was 17. Um, 
and you know, I, I'd worked in, I don't know, the, the food industry and things like that, and it really put me off. Um, I don't know, if you look at sort of clubs and all that sort of stuff, most of them are dying. Um, it's not something I really understand now, and I don't like the the hours. Just, I just don't want it, yeah. Yeah, but there's some people that make it work really well. But you've got to pick what you, you know, you enjoy what you're good at. I love investment. I love sort of making numbers grow and income streams grow and all that sort of stuff. Um, I don't know if I'd be the most sort of the, the best at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so outside of property, what are some of the better investment strategies out there and why? What for, I mean, for doing what with your money? To sort of what defensive or I mean Rob and I buy some watches but you know I'd I'd say you, you maybe make similar out of the stock market you know if you're trading them like Rob does a lot I think you'd end up with a lot more um, but his level of knowledge is you know beyond you know almost anyone that I know or you know so obviously the dealers we meet they know you know a lot but Rob knows loads about this and he'll he'll <coughs> just he'll be sitting on the toilet looking at a, an article you've got to have that level of passion and want to learn about the thing so you know the next you know he'll just come in and go oh my god the, the new Odemar Piguet I don't know Biblos is coming out or Terminator or whatever and you sort of think alright oh, well How's that different? Oh, it's got a different colour strap, you know. <laughs> yeah? That's yeah. But the point is, they make 50 of them. Um, and he knows, you know, and there are lots of people that will say, oh, there's 50 or there's, but that's 50 a year. He'll know there's only 50 being made and he'll, he'll know there's, he'll talk to a load of dealers and then he'll end up getting one. And that will end up going up and up and up over time. Um, so many people sort of try and do it and they they buy something a bit like what they should buy do you know what i mean um so i mean like that is a they it's an anniversary it's a submariner but it's the anniversary one because it's got the green bezel that's all it is just a green bezel um now when i started learning about this originally you know, I think, well, you know so what but i think i gave three three and a half grand for that and it's probably worth nine now and i've had it five years so for me, that's just, you know, it's a pretty simple thing. Now, Rob got me on that and he found one, you know, a, a guy that was selling them. He also found me a Patek Philippe, um, which was, it, they didn't, I mean, most, almost all Pateks go up, but um, it, this guy had one, very hard to get hold of. It was a Nautilus, they're almost sort of rectangular, square. And um, and he said this this will this will be good and I think I gave fifteen grand for it um, and then they started going up around the same time as this and let's say a couple of years ago I thought mm, this is this has had a good run um, I wasn't overly excited about the way it looked so I sold it for nineteen and a half um, which you know I was quite pleased with thirty six grand today um, I looked a couple of days you know and. You've got to know as much as him to know. So I get to just say to him, look, what do I do? And then he goes, do this. Yeah. 
well, there's a lesson there, yeah. Um, although he was like, no, you're, pr you're probably good getting rid of that one now. But you never, you can only be, have an idea. You, you can't be exact. But um, that's why I do it, because he tells me what to do. Um, steel Daytonas are always really good, he says. Yeah, but I think he says the ceramic ones are good now, but the, the gold ones are no good at all, because they make too many of them. But they don't make as many steel ones, because they're cheaper. I don't know what a new one is, but let's say it's 12 grand. The gold one might be 20. So Rolex sell a lot more of the steel ones than the gold one. But they want to sell the gold one because the margin is so much better. So they make a lot less steel ones to compensate. So the waiting list just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's just gone on for years and years and years. That's one or two little ideas of he'll have a hundred of those in his head. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, they can be a really good thing. Yeah. Uh, better than gold, I think. Yeah, we bought gold over the years. You know, still do bits. But um, if you get somebody who has, you know, more knowledge, a lot, lot more knowledge, then um, they're going to beat everyone else. Yeah. So you've, you, you, you've got to find something you love. You know what I mean? And if that's silver or, you know, or I don't know, whatever it is, even diamonds, and you can, by the way, diamonds haven't, in the last seven years, if you have a look at the rap, rap, Port, Rappaport, that's the guide, the New York market, they've probably gone nowhere, even though you go into the jewellery shop and oh yes, they want diamonds are always going up, do you know what I mean? Actually, when you look at the, the tables, it's, it's bollocks, but there'll be so many of guys who would just sit in that market all day long and they'll, they'll be able to spot straight away when something's cheap. And when it's probably going to go up, you know, whether a round of this size, you know, the, there's loads of them, I'll buy it now. And I know in a couple of years, the supply may be a bit tighter and then they'll sell it. So those guys will always make a load of money out of it, you know, even though the market hasn't really gone up. Um, we started with classic cars. We bought a, um, we bought a Ferrari Testarossa. Um, so it's sitting in Rob's garage at the moment um, for the winter. So they've come down a bit. Um, and they might be a good thing. It's a right-hand drive one. They only made 500. Um, I've got another mate who says they're, they're plastic classics because he's got all sort of vintage cars. Um, he's got loads. Just He's in Stamford um, or Oakham. Um, I think generally um, that there are people making loads of money out of classic cars, but they're on it all day because they love it. And they're just, they're just like your geeks. Do you know what I mean? Who... You know, you went to the Stanford Car Show and someone had a car there and everyone's eulogising over this thing and there's always some anorak who turns up and he's like, that, 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 that is not the right shade of green for that, that 1968 Porsche like this. And it's also not first paint, it's been, it's been resprayed like this. And, and of course, the, you know, the owner's there and he's, you know, and then there's this sort of debate starts and, and they'll go around with a little paint measuring tools, do you know what I mean, to work out if the thing has been, you know, and how original it is and the chassis number and whether it matches with the engine number, whether the engine's been changed, all this. And if you, if you go into that sort of level of detail and you've, you've been doing it for years and years and years, you'll end up spotting stuff that's cheap. I had Quentin Wilson on my podcast and um, he knows loads about this stuff and he's just a complete geek 
Um, and actually, this was before what happened recently. Did you hear him talk about Khashoggi's Rolls Royce? Well, obviously, uh, I don't know if it was Khashoggi's son or you know one of his descendants has since been murdered, um, or, or just just died randomly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, whichever version you um, you know go for. But um, if you li if you listen to him, he he found that classic Rolls Royce, um, uh, you know, and there wasn't that the, the owner didn't sort of really know what he had. Obviously, Quentin's gone on the internet. He's worked out it was Khashoggi's car. He's managed to get a load of the paperwork. He also knew there were only so many made, and they're very rare. Um, and he made loads of money out of it. You know, he's like, I can't remember what it was, but he, he made tens and tens of thousands of pounds from trading it. But the guy's been buying and selling cars for, I don't know, what, 30 years? Um, and he's just got a, you know, a... a, a, a a really, really deep understanding because that's what I'm sure he he says he's got every version of I can't remember which magazine it was going back like 25 years or something and they're all in his office and he'll just pull them out and geek over them because <laughs> that's what he wants to do. Do you know what I mean? So um, you 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 know if you can become a, a bit of a geek at something, um, it doesn't really matter what type of investment it is and you end up knowing more than everyone else, you're just gonna spot what works and what doesn't.